welcome to episode 667 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, hello. How are you? I'm doing good. I feel like I did eight miles of Spectrox tonight. I don't know. Oh. I'm raring to go. You rub it on your gums. <laughs> yep. No, that was my uh, Carviderol uh, pill that I took. I didn't know. I didn't know they had special names. Um, I always do the joke whenever I go to refill my Carviderol. Um, that's the name of a, a, a prescription I take. They go, "Oh, what are you here to refill?" I say, "It's my uh, my Carviderol. My cadi- I call it Cadaverol because if I don't have it, I'm a cadaver. So could you please refill that? It goes over every time, Joe. Oh, it sounds like it sounds like one of your patented bits. Oh, you know me. Yes. Uh, but we have a busy show this week. Right. It's almost as though all of the companies attempted to get advanced stuff out for San Diego Comic-Con this weekend. Is that a thing this week? Oh, boy, it sure is. Oh, um, we've even got discussions in regards to the actual convention itself. Because mm. there's a lot going on in the world of everything, not just comics, right? Yep, the world's on fire, Joe. Well, again, it's not it's it's been on fire for a while. It just moved to different spots, you know. Yep, yep. Uh, we have what we read from this past week, which was Night Terrors number one and World's Finest Teen Titans number one. Uh, we have what we're looking forward to coming out this week. We have the return of Todd's Art Attack. We have discussion of issues 51 and 52, the beginning of the World's End saga in Sandman for Todd and Joe have issues. And of course, we have discussion of the latest episode of Disney Plus Marvel's Secret Invasion. Right. So the news is going to bounce around quite a bit here because there's a ton, but there's we're going to end strong with the news. Okay. All right. Uh, So, like I said, there was a bunch of different things that were announced, a bunch of stuff getting ready to roll out. Um, Image actually announced um, that they've picked up the license to do books based on the Universal Monsters. That's interesting. Yes. Now, this is, you know, Kirkman through the Skybound end of Image. Um, You know, obviously, anybody could do a book about a Dracula, a mummy, a Wolfman, but to do a book about the Dracula and the mummy and the Wolfman with the Universal Monsters logo on the front of the book, that's, uh, you know, that's a different kettle of fish, right? Right, right. Um, And again, they're starting things off with uh, Dracula, which is going to be done by James Tinney IV, and Martin Simmons, who did uh, Department of Truth, um, hopefully that means a nice payday for them as well, since they're doing a licensed property. Right. Um, but this is one of those licensed properties that I don't know if they've done books on this in a while or if they have, like how long it's been. I don't ever remember them doing the universal monsters 
proper because like you said i remember bernie wrightson having his uh he had that novel that he uh he had the actual frankenstein novel and then he did like uh illustrations for but then he had the frankenstein alive alive comic Mm -hmm. that he did right before he passed away and like all that stuff falls into different categories but like the bella ligorsky you know uh draculas or you know the boris karloff uh, frankensteins i don't ever remember seeing like comics unless maybe it was like a movie adaptation kind of a deal yeah i I think the close like and even like the brahm stoker's dracula that they did in the tops comics that were reviewing over on previewing the past like those aren't the universal monsters that's a different iteration of dracula um but yeah you know that's a pretty interesting licensed property and i think there's a lot to be mined from that you know if they do a universal monsters you know shared universe i guess you know yeah what tom cruise was trying to do a few years ago Um, yeah the dark universe yeah i saw because i was watching tv the other night and they're like oh the mummy's on next i was like oh good brendan fraser's ah it's the tom cruise one was the one that was um, supposed to kick off the dark universe. Yep, yep. But, you know, uh, I think that is really cool. Now if they could just get the rights to Abbott and Costello, we're good as gold, baby. Uh, boring that, let's get, um, oh, man, uh, Sammy Petrillo. <laughs> and I'm trying to think who the other guy was, the fake uh, Martin and Lewis. Right. That right. in Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn gorilla. <laughs> oh, my God. Duke Mitchell and Sammy Petrillo. <laughs> People that I've definitely heard of. They were the fake Martin and Lewis. Um, Jerry Lewis had a TV show. Uh, Sammy Petrillo did like, they did a bit where it was like young Jerry right. came out. And then uh, a, a shyster in Hollywood convinced <laughs> Sammy Petrillo you know kind of it was the impetus for our uh navy seals guy thing right shyster like convinced him it's like no we could kind of advertise you as jerry lewis right Mm -hmm. and uh surprisingly they got sued into oblivion shocking yes uh but listen something to learn you kids out there sammy petrillo and duke mitchell Mm -hmm. and bella lugosi meets a brooklyn gorilla (laughs) Uh, Marvel has a ton of stuff uh, announced. Uh, it looks like they're killing off Moon Knight. Mm. Um, Hope they bring maybe, him back as a mutant. Right. Well, okay, we'll get to that too here as well. Um, you know, there was rumors and so forth, but now all the trade dress uh, for the upcoming Marvel arc uh, is called The Last Days of Moon Knight, which lends credence to this. Um, the, Moon Knight, the TV show, has not been renewed for a second season yet. Right. So, you know, it's anything to drum up interest, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think with anytime somebody tells me they're killing somebody, like, that's played out for me, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And it's Moon Knight. I, I mean, other than having the most interesting origin in the history of comics, I'm not a big Moon Knight fan. Right, and if we do get someone new to replace Moon Knight, and then we get to see that origin played out again, where you know someone is bitten by a radioactive moon, mm-hmm. I think it's it's one thing for us to talk about it; it's another thing for people to see it. You know, right, right, yeah. Um, speaking of other folks like that, um, they're announcing maybe a new Punisher as well. 
Right, we'll see. So, no spoilers, but at the end of the most recent Jason Aaron uh, run on The Punisher, which loosely tied into Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil stuff, mm-hmm. um, The Punisher was working for The Hand. Uh, the Hand used their magic of bringing people back to life uh, to bring Frank's wife back to life. Right. And I don't want to say that they killed Frank Castle, but they definitely took him off the board. Mm-hmm. Again, no spoilers there, but already at this weekend at San Diego, they're teasing a new Punisher with a, um, you know, because they changed. There was a lot of controversy over the Punisher logo, the classic Punisher logo uh, yep. being co-opted by people that maybe get the wrong message about who and what the Punisher is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they kind of changed it in the Jason Aaron run to look more. Um, you know, Asian, I guess, like mo- look more like something that like the hand would wear, right? Almost like to me, like a symbol, but demon horns, kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah. And then the new, the, like they at least tease what the new costume looks like, and it's very much more stylized. That it's not a skull, but it's definitely kind of like how, uh, you know, we we work the bat logo into the costume, so we don't have to put the bat logo on the Batman suit. It's right. like, eh, we worked the Punisher logo into the Punisher costume, right? Right. Um, any thoughts, any ideas, any feelings on who the new Punisher is going to be? Um, I have no idea. I'm trying to remember if the certain character from Jason Aaron's run uh, was alive at the end. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Maybe that person that was, you know, kind of involved with the Punisher. Yeah, I know who you mean. That's the only one that I can kind of think of. Um, but otherwise, it's, I don't know, with uh, Winter Soldier being, you know, in the the Thunderbolts book that's supposedly coming up, I thought maybe he could be one. But I, I, I don't know. Elektra again? Who knows? So, so I'm going to throw it out here. Dark Horse Candidate. I, I have no inside information. This is just me throwing a shot out there. I'm going to say Deathlock is going to be the new Punisher. It is Deathlock. Yes, that's With who, that that's my anniversary money. That's, of right. Of the that, push. Again, I'm not saying you know that's just my pick. That's my guess, right? Yep, yep. Um, so more things that Marvel is introducing. Um, I'm not reading the Dan Slott uh, Spider-Man book that's currently going on. Um, it's very separate from Amazing. And it's very much about all the Spider-Verse stuff, which I enjoy the Spider-Verse movie, but the comics not so much. Mm -hmm. In the Dan Slott Spider-Verse book, Spider-Man-Verse, they introduced that Spider-Man has had a kid sidekick this whole time that we've forgotten about. Right. Very similar to the recent Stargirl, the Lost Children with all the lost sidekicks that we all forgot about sort of thing. Right, right. So Spider-Man has a lost sidekick called Spider-Boy. It hits big. And I forget. Oh, it's October. Um, Marvel is doing a cover opportunity. There's that word again. Where they're doing variant covers of some of your favorite characters and their long lost uh, kid sidekicks that we never knew about. Right. Uh, Like there's a Ben Grimm one who's like a punk rock kid. (gasps) Oh. There's a Doctor Strange one. There's a, you know, whomever, right? There's a Star-Lord one. There's a Magneto one. There's a Vision one. Um, You know, everyone's getting a kid sidekick. 
I definitely feel this is a test to see how far... It, I think this is a better idea of testing out a variant cover opportunity than throwing a new book out there, introducing tons of new characters, and then having the book fail like six months later. Right. I feel like this is a visual um, uh, marketing. It's like, which one sticks and that's the one we run with? Yeah. Um, and like, because I always loved like when companies told us what was going to be the next big thing, like the one that always sticks with me. Well, there was that whole year. Remember when every year was going to be the year of green arrow over at DC. Yes. And then at Marvel, it was when they really had, they strapped the rocket to silk and yes. it was uh, Spider-Gwen that everybody loved. And they were like, well, we missed the boat on that one. So, right. I think they even retconned things to make Silk like Peter Parker's long-lost sister. Something. I don't yeah. remember. Um, so I, I feel that's where they're headed, you know? Yes. Now, uh, last but not least in Marvel, uh, you know it's real news when they don't go through the usual channels, but they actually do a press release through Entertainment Weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Iman Villani, the star of the Disney Plus Marvel series Ms. Marvel, is going to be co-writing the upcoming new Ms. Marvel comic book. Mm-hmm. Now, Todd, I know you're saying, didn't they just in spectacular fashion kill Miss Marvel off in the Amazing Spider-Man book? Yes, forever. If they Right. Could. Well, um, this is how they're going to make her a mutant now? Like in the TV shows? Like in the TV shows. And actually, over the summer, as a summer replacement show, they're airing the Ms. Marvel Disney Plus show as two mini movies. Right. Which didn't I say that last week when we were talking about the writer's strike that we're going to see a lot of the streaming shows come to regular yes. TV? Oh, another segment of Todd was right. Um, we need like a yeah, bell or uh, something. Yeah, that that's I, I figured that would be. But yeah, they need to, to, to push that show a little bit. So mm-hmm. and get the comic character out there in time for the movie, Joe. Right. And I just find it funny that Ms. Marvel has been long trenched in the Marvel Universe as an inhuman. Right. And Marvel is going through leaps and bounds and tripping over themselves to make sure that no one knows that she's an inhuman, that she's a mutant, a property that they're just now getting the rights and you know everything back to. No, yeah, it's it's crazy. Because <laughs> I always thought she was a mutant back in the day. But, you know, I, I was not steeped in, you know, Ms. Marvel lore. But uh, I don't know. I think they would want to hook their wagon to that uh, Inhuman TV show that had the first two episodes in IMAX, Joe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one that doesn't get a lot of talk and for good cause. Yep. I remember seeing, I, you know what? I found my IMAX oversized ticket the other night for in your, Oh, your collector's item ticket? Yes. Remember though? Yeah. But again, it was one of those things where I think we all knew that she was going to be coming back because she's a main focus character in the uh, Captain Marvel 2 movie that's coming out around Christmas time. And 
you know, I I like the character, and I I feel as though Marvel, you know, kind of didn't know what they had with the new character that they had created, realizing what the character meant to a lot of people, and a lot of people who read comic books today just they they know the legend of stuff that ha- would happen back in the '90s of characters dying and then coming back like months later, or even in the '80s when that would happen, right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to know about that, but it's another one to actually experience it. And I think a lot of your new comic book readers, like let's say people that start reading comics within the last like 10, 15 years, this is the first time that they're getting to experience that. And uh, it sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, I'll say, though, I honestly thought she went the way of Uncle Ben. No, no. Uh, I knew they weren't going to do any such thing like that. Like I said, she's in the movie. She had a TV no, show. I, and again, they're not I gonna, knew. I yeah. was like, I didn't think they were going to spin it back this fast. Mm-hmm. Like, Killer have the memorial, and then the week after the memorial announced, like, oh, she's back. And, hey, mutant. Cool, you know? It, so. it wasn't even the week after. The book came out on a Wednesday, and the press release was on a Friday. Right, yeah, it's like the ink was still wet on the book, you know? And it was good. The issue was really good. It was, you know, three little stories written by, like, creators that had done uh, a lot of work with her. G. Willow Wilson got to do um, the first story. Mark Wade got to do a story, and I forgot who did the third story. But it was like, here's this way that we're going to, like, make this character's death mean something. Uh, but if I've learned nothing from social media, what happens in the X universe um, maybe comes up three years after it happens. Okay. Maybe. I found out that Captain America died and was resurrected. And uh, Krakow is now a planet. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the X-Men universe. Sounds interesting. Not yet. <laughs> One of these days we'll we'll get on that bandwagon, Joe. It ain't going to be today. Um, last but not least in the actual news segment, because the San Diego Comic-Con stuff is going to get its own special discussion when we talk about San Diego Comic-Con, which is this weekend. Um, a couple weeks ago, we talked, we discussed, um, the Night Terror neon covers. Right. Um, and how people were saying that they didn't turn out quite the way that they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. Um, apparently somebody at the printer mistaked green for brown. That now, happens. It, listen, uh, lesser things have happened in the DC printing process, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, who needs to put words in that balloon? Words? Right. Words. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got the covers and they looked all right. I got what they were going for, you know, and in my mind, I just thought like, okay, well, we're going maybe like, a, you know, we're doing the neon, but we're also doing a little muted. Maybe this is the idea, maybe whatever. And they only did it, so you know, we've only had two issues come out so far with that, which was the uh, the preview one, which was called First Something. First Blood, Night Terrors. Right, and then the actual first issue that we're going to be talking about a little bit later on. Um, but it just came out this week that DC is now considering them um, misprints, and they're asking that they all be uh, recalled. Yep. So, so you taking yours back to our, our retailer? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Um, you know, and obviously, once this sort of thing happens, and you get your replacement, and now you got two versions of the book, what's going on with the print run? You run into situations where the fixed copy might end up having a lower print run because nobody wants to give the originals back. 
Uh, there's people already striking while the iron is hot and flipping the book. Um, I don't know. I'm keeping mine. I like the way they turned out. Um, <laughs> do the other versions look cooler? Sure. Um, but I got what I got. I'll live. I don't know. I think that's going to put Asa through college. Mm, maybe not. Maybe buy him a new car. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, I think the... I think, you know, as I, I found out today that they're still making Walking Dead TV shows, plural. Um, I'd say that the full run of the first Prince of Walking Dead might do more for him, but I don't know. Right, right. Um, and, and, and not that we'll go off on a tangent. I, I am watching the Negan show. Oh, okay. Just because, I, I don't know, I like uh, Negan, but uh, it's not the best show. It's not the worst show. That's all. <laughs> All right, well, listen, you got a lot of time on your hands, I guess, right? Yeah, it's not like I'm leaving the house anyway. Yeah. So this weekend is San Diego Comic-Con, mm-hmm. the big one, right? And we discussed here a couple of weeks ago um, as we were starting to get closer to well, – actually, it was even before the strike happened that there was discussion that a lot of the like Marvel Studios wasn't going to have a presence and this one wasn't going to have a presence and this one wasn't going to have a presence – well, then the Writers Guild strike happens, and then the SAG-AFTRA strike happens. Now there's nothing new going on, and then what was going on was a lot of the panels that were going to be there all ended up getting canceled because they were all standing with their, you know, union brothers and sisters, right? hmm But then it comes into some unclarity of whether or not people who are SAG-AFTRA can even go to not just San Diego, but any conventions. Right. And, and you know, do anything, right? hmm So SAG-AFTRA had to put out, like, a press release, uh, not only through San Diego Comic-Con, but also, like, kind of informing uh, their folks in regards, to, like, the people that are part of the union, in regards to what they can or cannot do. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of, like, real wonky rules, right? Right, like so, legalese. Like, I, I, it, uh, I'm i completely confused, even more confused now, but go ahead. Okay, so I'm going to, okay, so let me say this. And I'll just use this as an example, okay? Um, just because he's someone that shows up at a lot of conventions or whatever it is, right? Uh, you're uh, Matt Smith. He's a Doctor Who, right? Right. If Matt Smith goes to a comic convention to sign and pose for pictures, that is no problem. Okay? No problem. However, he cannot participate in any sort of panel, discussion, or otherwise involving any future work, even if it's already been filmed. Like, he can't go there to promote the new season of Doctor Who. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, technically, he can go and participate in a panel where they discuss Doctor Who fandom. Right. But a lot of people that are in the unions are opting not to participate in those. The, the union has said that they can, but they're, they're doing it kind of like as a, a show of unity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, when you go there, you cannot dress up as the character or characters that you played as part of that fandom. Okay. 
Now, when it comes to signing things, this is a different this this is where things get a little bit sticky. If you go up to Matt Smith and you ask him to sign a Doctor Who thing, a toy, mm-hmm. an eight by ten, an anything, right? Yep. If you if you the fan have brought it to him, he can sign it. Mm-hmm. He but cannot he, supply it. He cannot supply anything that has a logo or signage or likeness of one of the works that he's on previously, but especially on something that he's promoting upcoming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they can do appearances and promote their upcoming appearances at conventions, but they cannot do so in promoting other non-convention work. Mm-hmm. Um, so again... If you, and then another thing is, if you are there to participate in a panel specifically, like I, like I know there was supposed to be one at San Diego this weekend about the new season of Futurama that's starting on Hulu soon, right? Right, right. No, canceled. Can't be done, right? Um, so a lot of those folks are losing out on work, you know, because obviously yeah. you're getting your vig for being at the convention to sign stuff and take pictures of people, but the convention stuff and taking part of like panels and stuff is another part of your fee. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do those anymore, then that's a cut. Right. Yep. And a lot of times, you know, um, Oh, and the other thing is I think the group things have been stopped as well. Like if there's like, Oh, who was, uh, Matt Smith's, um, um, what do they call them? Assistants, companions, companions, he had Karen Gillian and Gillian and Jenna Coleman was one. You know what I mean? So there was okay. multiple, but yeah. So you could go to a convention and you can get your picture taken with Matt Smith and Jenna Coleman and Karen Gillian, but the convention can no longer advertise and you can no longer participate in the group shot. Even if that group shot isn't specifically citing Doctor Who. Right. That's what that is. Though I do like that the New York Comic Con just put out, because obviously that's October, put out their photo op uh, opportunities. There's that word again. Um, and they were they were calling it like, the I don't know what they were calling it exactly, because like, uh, the, the the female doctor, I can't think, uh, Whitt- Jody Whitaker's going to be there, and David Tennant. And I'm like, oh, if I go, I kind of want to get their pictures. They're two people I haven't got. And they have the twofer. So I'm like, oh, what are they calling that now? You know what I mean? And there's a lot of people there, and hopefully everything will be wrapped up by then. But that was what uh, New York was pushing to push some of their tickets. They're like, oh, we're having Chris Evans. We're having uh, Ewan McGregor. We're having the two doctors. And it's like, oh, okay, now what are these people going to do Like, if the strike's going on at this point? Like, what are we going to have them do? Um, and uh, it's, just, it's just crazy to think about, you know? Right. Now, the one thing that I will say um, with all of this is, uh, luckily, since professional wrestling is a corny industry and they would never have a union, this does not affect them in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So professional wrestlers, this is their time to shine and scoop up some of that money that's being left on the table by the folks that are actually part of a union. Even though they're treated shabbily, they're actually being treated, you know? 
Yeah. Didn't uh, a once great man who owned a company say that uh, wrestlers would never go on strike? Uh, yeah. Okay. And they never like will. baseball players, like baseball players. Oh, it's uh, our season never ends. There you go. There you go. Yes. That's what they. That's what they say, right? <laughs> now, San Diego's coming up, and you know we discussed this, of course, a couple weeks ago. Obviously, this is a big change with the strike and everything. A lot of the panels got canceled, but one thing that did not get canceled is everyone's favorite, which is San Diego Comic Con exclusives. Mm-hmm. And Adam and asked me about some of them, if anything was interesting to me. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, figure stuff. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool, whatever. But because they're still doing the uh, windowless boxes for stuff. Right. I can't be bothered. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I'm a, you know, mint on card, mint and box guy. And, you know, that panelless box could have anything inside of it, right? Yep. Um. And in between us recording at odds this past week and recording this show, uh, there was a Comic-Con exclusive that came up. Not so much for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For you, Todd. See, right. months ago we had talked on the show uh, about the upcoming Sandman Helm Masterpiece Edition. Yes. Uh, where there were two versions of it. One that looked more black, uh, like Morpheus's classic helm. And right. there was another one that looked a little bit more green, almost like it was an homage to the uh, Golden Age Sandman. Right. I almost said it looks more like the TV show version slash a mis, uh, uh, miscolored uh, in one of the issues. That's kind of the way my brain went. But Right. But there was two different editions. There was like a, um, you know, a, a mass market version, which is the black one. And then there was a direct market one that you can only get through your local comic book shops, which was the yep. green one. Uh, it was a pricey item. You know, you're looking at like a thing that holds, you know, what is it like six hardcover collections or seven yep. hardcover collections of the Sandman thing. Plus comes with a special brand new story that yep, you could and, only get with this. And has some sort of prints or screen silks or something like that. Yeah, I yeah. believe. And then this well, past week, yeah. they, they announced that they're doing a third version of that, Todd. Yeah, like a whitish version. Yeah, I'm not really sure why they would choose white as a color for Sandman's helm. Notice I didn't say Morpheus. For Sandman's helm. <laughs> yep. And it's it's only limited to 25, Todd. That number blew my mind, Joe. <laughs> 25. That is going to sit on the shelf, never sell out at San Diego Comic-Con. Having so many of those, Joe. And didn't you say, I think it's like an, it's like $200 more than the regular edition or something crazy? Yes, the regular edition is $500. Right. So the uh, 25 version is 750 Right. And now that I passed on the green retailer exclusive version, for shame, I don't feel I need to be a completist. And mm. boy, oh boy, does that take the, the weight off of my back, Joe. And you call yourself the Michael Jordan of Sandman collecting. No, I call myself the Scotty <laughs> Pippen of the Michael Jordan of Sandman <laughs> collecting. But when I saw this, I was like, oh, my God, we got to push Todd to spend all of it. You have all this freed up money now that you're not buying original art. That is true. Um, That being said, I really want one. (laughs) 
But I can't I can't even imagine I can't even imagine me being there. Like if I was in person, like living flesh, that I would be able to get one. Like even at a whopping seven hundred and fifty dollars, those are gonna go quick, right, Joe? Because there's only twenty five of them. They, those are not making it to Friday. I mean, I could see them maybe going, there's 25 of them. We're going to put, because uh, it's f- with the, with there's always like the the early preview day kind of a deal. Yeah. Um. So there's, so there's five nights technically. I could see them selling five a day. You know what I mean? Being like, we're like, we are going to make it. So at least if you only have a one day pass, you have a shot in, in Hades, the key to hell. You have a shot. Um, but I don't, I, I, they're all gone. And one of them has to go to Neil, right? I would think so. You know, like off the top of my head, it's like Neil has to get one. Uh, I don't know. So. And then if you even give them to any of the artists, there's more than probably 24 artists on Sandman, Joe. Now, if I could entice you just a bit with this, Todd, mm-hmm. the the regular editions, you know, the, the, the lower end ones that you're settling for. Right. The ghetto masterpieces. Yes. Those don't come out until November. Right. So not only is this a 25 print only exclusive, but right. you would get your hands on everything that was in this set four months before it's released, right? Right. I could read the story before before everybody but 24 other people. Right. Because all 25 people are going to open it and read it and consume mm-hmm. the whole thing. Um, also, on top of this, Todd, you know, we've detailed it here on the show. The printing at DC when it comes to these collected editions, hardcovers, masterpieces, oh. even just regular big event books. They've got an A++ rating, <laughs> never a fail, never a mistake. Pages don't get put out of order. Word balloons aren't missing words. Oh, no, words. they do that all the time. <laughs> right, yep. <laughs> I think it's going to be fine. I think they proofread this one over and over. I'm saying, Todd, forget the other two. Just get this one. This is the best of the three. Let's put it this way. If I had a line on this one, right, I would tell, I would just be like, oh, I can't buy mo- the one I ordered from my retailer and buy this one. And just throw an extra two. For- no, nah, it's, uh, Joe, knowing that I'll never get it, mm-hmm. that, I, that I would never be able to buy it, just there's, there's no chance in it, makes it so much easier to not buy I may be, I may be putting an eBay alert out there for myself just oh. so I could see the price on it skyrocket. Uh don't there's no way I'm not watching any that would pop up <laughs> and I do believe they will be there Thursday if they sell them on Thursday there will be one on Thursday. Right. And Is listen, I- you said if you had a line on this, if any of our listeners are going to San Diego Comic-Con this weekend, Pick this up for Todd. He's good for it. You heard on After Dark this week how much money he's making from the eBay click-through. That is true. That is true. I could give you the money back that you said that I can go toward the new car. 
Oh, and, that would uh, be nice if I could have that back. Yes. Right. And uh, what's the what's uh, there's a game studio there. Um, go for me. Go say hi to Double J for me. Is he going to be there? Double J is wrestling um, Wednesday. Um, where I don't even know where AEW is on Wednesday, but wherever it is, he's wrestling on Wednesday, doing the two shots that they do, and then he's flying out to San Diego to do, you know, all four nights, five nights, whatever it is, uh, for the video game that he's a part of. The what's the uh, called Wrestle Quest is coming out. Never heard of it. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully, he'll be at uh, New York too, and I'll. Uh get you some autograph stuff or something like that because they don't conform to any union you know standards right they don't go in for that union stuff as mm-hmm. uh, the great frank rizzo once said right. um but san diego comic con's the biggie this weekend you know what i mean like there might be other conventions going on this weekend but you know it's it's, it's a sad truth but they all pale in comparison to san diego you know yep there's no other that compare like you said right Uh, But one thing that nothing pales in comparison to is the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com. That's your one-stop shop for all the shows in the network. Anytime they go live, of course, you could find them at their individual sites through your podcatcher. I actually updated for my little corner, you know, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark. Uh, at Oz with Wrestling, I updated and clarified and so forth all the different podcatchers, the major ones that we're a part of, um, to make sure everything is up to date and current and pulling from the right feeds and everything. Um, but easier way to do it is just go to soon to be named soon to be named network.com. And uh, anytime these shows, uh, Longbox Heroes is mentioned, Longbox Heroes, After Dark, At Oz with Wrestling, Final Wrestling Place. Uh, we need wrestling, Puzzle Warriors Three, Profane Arguments, Wings on Wings, Hiya Bussy, uh, and of course our legacy shows such as No Chance in Helmet, uh, Hit My Music, amongst many other shows. I say if there's a way to go through Tumblr, and I don't know if there is, I'm not that uh, internet savvy. Um, if there's a way to go back to the very first post that we've done and see if there's any of the defunct shows that I've completely forgotten about, right? Um, I know Dad Distractions is one. Um, I know Prime Defective was one. Um, uh, unofficially, the worst reviewed Star Trek podcast online. I do believe we've done a few uh, unrecorded Dad Distractions here between shows. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, but you could also check out some of the other stuff um, that people, that our friends are up to in and around the internet. Uh, go check out our good friend Mike Sterling, who is on the mend, thankfully, uh, over at ProgressiveRuin.com. Go check out our friend Kevin's site at MassedLibrary.com. Go check out Rick Williams, the chop shop at FreeKarateChops.StoreEnvy.com. Uh, I got word that Jason Sandberg's Jupiter Number 1 and all the little gadgets and gizmos was shipped this weekend and uh when it arrives on thursday i will be taking a picture of myself with my arm around it and a stake and posting it online <laughs> uh, but I you may still- have one in the mail too so oh nice 
Uh, you can still purchase them at Indiegogo.com. Uh, we do have the link set up in the show notes, along with a link to purchase copies of Chris Runt's Battle Monsters Number 1, uh, copies of Dave Tomain, our friend from the band Cave People, and Rose Sovia's Keeper at KeeperComic.BigCartel.com. Go check out the art and process and goings-on of our good friend Becky over at her social media that's linked up here. Now, I will say the pre-order link for the new Titan Comics Conan number one Mark Schultz exclusive cover with Max the sh- the the mascot of our local comic book store Comics on the Green. The link is still up to pre-order, but I saw Becky on social media on Tuesday saying that the books are in. That just might be that they get them because sometimes they get stuff early. You know what I right, mean? And they're not all spoken for. And the street date is uh, July 26th, I believe. Okay, so that's next week, but the books are in as we speak. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and obviously in hand, you're going to see the push happening a lot, lot more uh, for that. Definitely check that out. And like in two weeks, we'll go back to the usual plug. Uh, You know, you don't have a comic book shop in your area, good comic book shop in your area. You know, the script writers, you know, our our script writers, we have scabs. I'm sorry, (laughs) you have to find out this way. Yes, yes. It's a terrible thing, but it's how we make it's how we keep the lights on. Joe. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but all the links to all the stuff that we mentioned is in the show notes to every single one of these episodes, uh, wherever you find wherever these episodes are. So let's get into what we read from this past week. Todd, where would you like to begin? I'm going to start with the book we were both looking forward to most, which is Night Terrors number one, written by Joshua Williamson. Art by uh, Giuseppe Camicoli. Uh, and this, you know, it starts out with after the first blood kind of a story uh, with Dead Man retelling basically his origin and kind of like how it happened, which is a really cool thing because I love Giuseppe's art where he's talking about, uh, uh, you know, what that it to 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 have his fans believe because he was an acrobat that he could die uh, any second dead men had to, had to believe it and the fact that he's not wearing the dead man you know acrobat outfit he's wearing like a suit just kind of like is 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 off putting in a good way if that makes any sense yes but him talking about it and then being like you know, uh, the biggest applause he ever got was the day he died. But then, like, he looks sad about it, and it's like, boom. He's like, but, hey, you know, I'm a superhero now. And he kind of, I kind of feel like that dead man, you know, may have an undercurrent of being sad about it. But he also likes being dead man. Could be worse. Could be dead. Um, and then he, we cut into the story of that he's possessed Batman's body while insomnia's you know fighting him and he kind of you know he's like oh okay i thought you were only in dreams but you're you know you were a ghost like me but you're actually a you know a person so that means i can fight you by doing this and he kind of jumps into his body and we kind of get glimpses we don't get a complete explanation but we get hints of like what happened to him and it definitely involves uh the lazarus reign which was part of uh planet lazarus and all that stuff and who what characters may be involved from the past um and 
uh, insomnia kind of gets, you know, the better of him. He's like, well, I got to get out of here and I kind of got to save Batman. And the bit I like the most about this is even though he talks about uh, Batman hating that he would take his body for a ride, um, he likes Batman's body the best because he's the most worked out, like jacked up guy that he's ever, you know, possessed. And he can do all the stuff that uh, Boston Brand as Dead Man could have done as an acrobat. And him explaining that is absolutely fantastic. And he's like, "Oh, well, with the little bit I know, I could I could go get some help from this one person, but I have to do this weird thing to get it." And then the person who shows up uh, that he's going to try and get help from, uh, I think, makes Joe kind of happy. Um, I really like this story. I thought it was fun. It was interesting. And uh, hopefully it goes where I think it's going to go at some point. Yeah, so even though the character that you're mentioning was mentioned in the solicitations, they are me- they are featured on the covers of many of the other books. Um, I think we can avoid the who and the how here mm-hmm. uh, without giving too much away. But I do like um, that they did set up a mystery of who the villain is. Yep. Um, they gave us some clues and they were someone in Arkham Asylum and it's an interesting twist um, instead of just someone coming back from the dead, but it's a new villain. Um, you know, like I said, they give you the pieces of who his origin could be. Um, we get the information about the Nightmare Stone. Um, but outside of the Lazarus Reign stuff, which they give you just enough information, um, and I hate to say it's like, oh, you have just enough information to be dangerous, but it's just enough information to understand how it came to be and why we're using it later. Right? I, I think they even just use the two good words for it. It's magic rain. Yeah. Done. And I'm like, I don't need to know anymore. Listen, I'm already buying that a guy is a ghost and can jump into Batman's body and other people's bodies, right? So mm-hmm. um, now I know we're not reading it. It was on our list of stuff, but I would be remiss. Okay. From the uh, Night Terror Shazam book written by Mark Wade, okay? Right. He does the perfect synopsis of what Night Terrors is about, okay? Mm-hmm. The entire world has been forced into eternal slumber, including all the heroes and, and villains, as Insomnia searches their dreams for the Nightmare Stone. There you go. Yeah, you know what? He kind of has this down, I think, now, Joe. And, right, and so that's what's going on is the Nightmare Stone um, was more powerful than the Dream Stone, allegedly. So John D., Dr. Destiny, hid it somewhere. Insomnia don't know where it is. Dr. D. wouldn't tell him where it is. So maybe Dr. D. is dead now. Dead man can go through people's bodies, but he can't go through their dreams. Maybe he needed to find somebody who could help him go through dreams to get to the Nightmare Stone before Insomnia does. Right. I don't know. It seems like it sounds like a lot, but it's only a lot if you're picking up all of the other ancillary books as well. Yeah, and I think we've said this before. Just pick up. Now, granted, we said if you pick up anything like we're reading Shazam, so Mark Wade wrote Shazam. But Joshua Williamson, that's the only stuff you really need to pick up as far as I'm concerned. I do think the first blood uh, prequel helps a lot. Um, and it was really good. So uh, yeah, that's what I say. Anything Joshua Williamson's got his name on, pick that up and you should be good. 
Uh, so the other book that we both read from this past week was World's Finest Teen Titans number one, uh, written by Mark Wade with art by Emanuela Lupacino. Yep. Um, so they say that this spins out of the current ongoing Batman Superman World's Finest book. Mm-hmm. And I guess it does because it's a thematic villain. At least at the beginning, maybe not so much at the end. Right. But I know you're not reading um, Peter Milligan, Mike Alred's, uh, like, Ecstatic. Like, whatever the book is called now. Like, I think it's called, like, Excellent, right? Right. This book is that book. Okay. Um. So, the, you know, this is being heralded as the original team of Teen Titans is back, right? And... Teen Titans, a book from the late 60s, early 70s. But in this book, they're using hashtags, talking about social media. Everyone's got smartphones. In all intents and purposes, it shouldn't work. But it absolutely works. Right. Because, like, even though it's modern, these are the classic looks and feels and whatever's for the characters. And... They don't really hit you over the head with it. They don't make you, um, like, feel like these are old characters trying to adapt to new technology. They add in some wrinkles. A lot of it is, like, the team's interplay with stuff. Um, But so much of this book and the way that these characters treat their popularity, their online status... um, all that sort of stuff reminds me so much of what Peter Milligan and uh, uh, Mike Alred are and have been doing with those X-Force ecstatic excellent characters over these last several years, especially with the more recent miniseries that they did. Um, But I feel as though this is easier digestible because everyone knows who Robin and the Flash and you know, the DC characters are, and you might not know who you go girl and Mr. Sensitive and all the other characters that are in that little corner of the X universe that really doesn't mix with the rest of the X universe. Right. Right. Uh, But I really liked this book a lot. Um, I liked the book and, and my thing was, and it was meant to be because Roy kind of infuriates me because I'm an old um, like with him videotaping everything and even, and I've kind of, I'm kind of in the Robin camp. Um, so it doesn't like anger me in a bad way. I'm like, okay, I understand Robin. I don't understand Roy. Um, so it's all like, you know, influencers and stuff like that. Not in my, not in my wheelhouse, not in my understanding, but I get what they're doing here. My part of the story that I absolutely loved is as the story goes on and there's different things, we have the adventure, they cut back and forth to each of the Teen Titans, the main ones anyway, um, discussing their role with their mentors. And that's the thing Wade has down pat. It's like, okay, this is Wonder Girl and Wonder Woman talking. I'm like, I feel like that is that. And then, like, uh, the running thing that I won't give away where Batman keeps saying no to Robin. We don't know what he's saying no to. And that's revealed at the end of the thing by somebody asking the question. Like, no. But the bit that I loved the best was the interaction between Roy and Ollie. And because of the way that works out, uh, 
that classic drug issue makes much more sense if that makes any sense. Um, just, I just loved it. I just love the idea of like the, the interplay between the mentors and the, you know, the sidekicks. Right. And, you know, we, we talked before about what Wade gets right. And like, I don't even care that they do a bit in here. And I don't think this is a spoiler. Like they're playing with a wonder girl, Aqualad romance. Right. And I don't know if that's something from the original run or if that's from the the Wolfman Perez run or if this is something that's new created whole cloth for this series. I'm okay either way because it works in the book. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. I mean, I never read every iteration of uh, Teen Titans, but I don't ever remember uh, an Aqualad Wonder Girl love. So I think this is new the same way that in his world's finest, uh, uh, what was it? Supergirl and, and Robin, uh, Dick Grayson went on a date. He's adding a little flair. You know what I mean? So, mm. and, uh, you know, I'll say this, somebody pointed this out to me in the, uh, soon to soon to be named network discord. Uh, go sign up, ask for a link. You could find it. Right. Um, Somebody pointed out to me that there were two books from DC this week that came out uh, that both featured Wally as Kid Flash. Right. And, you know, I got the discussion that, you know, there's people in charge at DC that see Barry as The Flash and only see Wally as Kid Flash. No matter if there's times where they kind of push him up to be Flash for a little while, he either gets pushed aside or gets referred to as Kid Flash in these books. Right. To be fair, was the other one uh, uh, Night, Night Terrors, The Flash? Yes. Well, that way, like, because that was, he was dreaming of the past. You know what I mean? And sure. this is a flashback book. But I get what you're saying. Because proper, though, in the, up, in the, the last two years of the book and the upcoming new revamp number one of The Flash, that's all been Wally as Flash proper. So... I get you, but it was just interesting to see, you know, two books this week with uh, Wally as Kid Flash and not main proper no, I Flash. I, I feel fluke more than anything else. I get you. There's discussions that we could be having there. That is true. <laughs> so that's what we read this past week. Uh, let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am currently in the lead over Todd with five correct guesses. <gasps> um... And I'm looking at your books, and I'm going to, you know, obviously Human Target Volume 2 hardcover, that's reprinted material, so that does not count. Right, no no, no new material in that whatsoever. Yep, yep. I'm going to say the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Night Terrors Superman Number 1. Is Joshua Williamson writing that book? Uh, hang on, let me check. Um, I, could, I could answer that question. It is yes. Yeah, I knew he was writing that, so yes. yes. So then, yes, it is the book I'm looking forward to most. And I'm looking at yours. Is it also the book you're looking forward to most? It is also the book that I'm looking forward to most this week as well. Uh, again, I've really been enjoying his Superman stuff. And so far, I've been enjoying Night Terrors. He's the architect, showrunner, if you will, of Night Terrors. 
And it's the guy who's running the whole event, doing a book that he's been doing a great job on it. Only, granted, like, I think, what, Superman's only been out for like four or five issues or something. Right, right. Um, but I've really been enjoying it. So, yeah, let's go. So let me ask you a question now, and we'll we'll get there. So are you going to get uh, his Joshua Williamson Batman and Robin either ongoing or mini that's in this next pre uh, previews? It's on the list. Okay, that one I'm definitely like getting. So I just I was just curious on that one. But my question to you is because I want to run my pull list past you if you don't mind. I like um, when you do this. Yes. Yes. So the new upcoming Tom King Wonder Woman book. Am um, I getting it? Let's say no. That's the way I was kind of leaning because uh He's he's either super hit or miss with me. Yeah, um, I'm. St- and again, you know, we try to keep things positive here. Sometimes you fall out of love with a creator. Sometimes their stuff doesn't hit, and it's not that Tom King's stuff doesn't hit, uh, but I feel as though he consistently can't stick the landing on a lot of these books. Right now, I loved Human Target, but I may be, uh, you know, I may be biased on that one. If right, that makes any sense? But yeah, I'm with you on the landing thing. But when he's he's on, he is on, man. And I'm afraid of missing the net. I got YOLO, Joe. Or, mm. uh, what is it? It's not YOLO. What's the other one? You uh, missing out? Fear of missing out? FOMO. That's what it is. I wasn't going to tell you. I wanted you to get there. I got there. I got uh-huh. there, Joe. I'm old. I'm old. Listen, uh, I hear you. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just one of those things where I'm like, oh, Tom King and looks really good. And the last time that I read a Wonder Woman book that really knocked my socks off was the Greg Rucka run. And Greg Rucka only ended up being on the book for about 12 issues, right? The last Wonder Woman that knocked my socks off. Greg Rucka was pre-New 52, right? No. Oh, that was Rebirth. Oh, okay. I forgot about that because I did love Brian Azzarello's run. Yeah, because Rucka did do a little run pre-New 52, but when they did Rebirth, they, like, did this whole big thing with him coming back to the book, you know? Right. Was that the one where it was told in, like, two different eras? Yes. Okay. I remember I wasn't a big fan of that. because I like that one. The, the the bit of it because I remember Nicola Scott uh, drawing some of it yeah and but yeah um and then Greg Rucka was the guy who he was writing Wonder Woman when she killed Max Lord back before all of that remember yep so yeah Greg Rucka he's pretty good so what I'll say in regards to Wonder Woman it's not on my poll list but if I start hearing good things about it I, I don't care if I don't have the first print <gasps> if, I, if I have a second print a third print. Listen, I, uh, for a friend of the show, okay, who is a bigger Nightwing fan than you or I, they missed out on the first couple issues of the Tom Taylor run on Nightwing. Right, with Bruno Redondo. I think that was like 104 or 105. Yeah. And I had them, and they said, would you trade me second, third printings of those first couple issues for your first printings? And I'm like, absolutely. No problem. And he goes, you don't want, like, the difference? And I'm like, nope. I go, the issue is the issue, right? Right. It's cool to have the first print of stuff, right? But if somebody else really wants it more, and they ask nicely, 
I'll help you out. Man, I'm not like I won't if I miss a first print, I won't be like, oh, my whole life is over. Um, but I am a big first print guy. If uh, you know what I mean, I'm like I like my first prints. I it's not that I need it because I could read whatever to read it. But there is a nice feeling knowing yeah. you have it. I don't know. But if there's somebody who wanted, like, if there was something that I had the first print over on you that you missed out on something of, right? Right, right. And you came to me and like, man, I really want the first print. I'd be like, no problem. Let's, you know, give me whatever you got, and I'll take, and I'll give you my first print, right? Right. I, I I get you, but also just saying I would probably never ask you for that. Well, again, I'm just saying the no, offer so is there. The offer is there, but my mindset, because I'm the way I am, right. wouldn't ask somebody to give up something that I, if you get my meaning, it's like, oh, that's important to me. So why would I ask somebody else to give up? Not, And I know you would, but I'm just, you know, I'm just playing this out logically in my Todd brain, or as I call it, overthinking it. There you go. So speaking of something that definitely needs to be overthought, let's get into Todd and Joe have issues. As we are rereading Neil Gaiman's Sandman, not just the 75-issue run of the main title. We're doing miniseries. We're doing solo issues. We're doing single stories that appear in anthologies. We're covering it all. This time, we're starting off with issues 51 and 52 of World's End. And this is where I would turn the book over to Todd, the book, the show over to Todd, because this is his wheelhouse. As we mentioned, there are people who are bigger Nightwing fans than you or I. Todd is a much bigger Sandman fan than I. So I turned the show over to him. So this is issue 51, written by Neil Gaiman, as I always say every week, uh, with a bookend art by Brian Talbot. And uh, the middle story is by Alex Stevens, is the illustrator. Um, the book starts out with Brant and Charlene driving across country, and he's he's thinking about it, how he's in the you know population nowhere, and it, he could have woke uh, like at, Charlene was like, "Wake me up when it's uh, my turn." He's like, ah, "I'm not going to bother her." And all of a sudden, it starts snowing, which doesn't make any sense because it's kind of summer. And this, like, mystical creature, like, jumps out in front of him and he tries to swerve. Um, but in the end, he ends up uh, rolling the car down a hill. Um, and the whole time, he's like, I kind of want to, I didn't even have time to wake her. But I wanted to say, you know, that I'm, I'm kind of sorry. Uh, and then the car kind of, you know, hits hard. And she wakes up and she's like, what happened? He's like, I crashed. Uh I crashed your car. She's like, Oh my God, why didn't you let me drive? Like he was, he was worried about, but she kind of passes out and he's like, Oh, I got to get her to hospital. He's like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, she's unconscious. And all of a sudden he starts hearing this voice. Um, and it kind of has the, uh, not a terrible accent, but it's got a bit of an accent in the writing, which I know is one of our pet peeves. But, uh, he says, "Like you, you, you kind of need help. Uh, you're, it's, it's bad out here." And he's like, "What? Who's saying that?" And he's like, "Yeah, you really need help. See all that, that red stuff? I do. Like, that's blood. That's meant to be on the inside, and it's a bad sign if it's on the outside." And uh, 
But that's a great line. Mm-hmm. And, about the blood being on the outside, yes. Yes. And he goes, uh, they basically say, you, you need to get up and you need to move. And if you go up to the trees, you know, there'll be something kind of waiting for you and you'll be helped. And he's, I can't do it. I can't get up. And uh, he's like, oh, well, glad to oblige, laddie. And he gets, you know, poked by something. And uh, the whole time we kind of see like this, it looks like a porcupine wandering around. Now, Joe, in your mind, was it the porcupine who was talking to him? No. No. Okay. I was just curious. So he gets up and he's like, oh, I see fireflies. And he's like, no, it's uh, lights in a building. And it's the world's end, a free house, like a big inn kind of looking thing. And he goes in and he's like uh, asking for help. Like she's been hurt. Can I use your phone? This big burly bearded guy is like, I've telephone. I've heard of such things, you know, but I don't think you'll find one here. But I'm a... uh, He's not a surgeon, but he's something else. And he's like, and I can help you. He's like, you know, and he comes out and he's a centaur. And I like that he's so shaken up uh, that he kind of really doesn't even acknowledge him. And he's like, I got you. And she's like, here, drink. It's, you know, something that will help you. And um, uh, he's like, I need to get her a doctor. He's like, no, he's the be- he's the best kind of healer around. He's going to be fine. And while all this is going on, people are, like, discussing, well, is it my turn or your turn to tell the next tale? Um, and he's like, I, I don't know what happened. An animal ran out in a snowstorm. There's a storm. They're like, it's not a snowstorm. It's a reality storm. And that kind of, like, gets played off. And he, uh, he ends up passing out uh, and finally wakes up. And he's like, what's, what's going on here? And this person's like, you've been out for a couple hours here's stew you know this little you know hearty stool what's going on he's like where's charlene like person you came with it's like yeah she's over there she's like oh i've been over here brant you're awake you know good i've been listening to people tell stories you just missed a great one um you missed the story about a man who won november 1937 in a poker game Joe, I would have really liked to have read that story. Um, maybe that's the story that comes with the uh masterpiece collection Oh, the only way that could be better is if it was in the white version. Um, right. But, uh, and she's like, uh, he's like, look, I'm sorry about the car. She's like, listen, just wait. Uh, don't worry about it, Brant. We have to stay here. Anyway, Mr. Uh, this Mr. Gaharis is going to tell a story. Um, and this, like, like, I don't know. I don't want to say, like, uh, 1800s looking guy kind of he's got the big mutton chops and everything he says i call this story and defers to another rather longer story the tale of two cities um and he ends up telling the story of this guy who lived in a city all his life and he absolutely was enamored with it he was enthralled with the city when he takes the subway he imagines all the people and then like creates situations and has very like like daydreams about the city goes to work and all he can think about is you know getting out on lunch and he doesn't go to the cafeteria he goes and he walks the streets um and makes all these different you know like i said stories and he 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 knows all the alleys and the 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 doors and the buildings he's he's accustomed to it um then one day while he's walking around he sees this silvered street 
Um, and he's like, oh, that's interesting. And he runs to it. And when he gets to like this alleyway, it's nowhere to be seen. Um, so he returns to work. It's kind of hard to concentrate. And he's uh, it's time to go home. Uh, but he missed the train. So it's kind of getting like dreamlike in this thing. And he gets on this specter of a train because he dozed off. And he gets on and he sees a man in a black outfit, you know, pale, deep, penetrating eyes. It's Morpheus. Um, and he's kind of, oh, man, like something's wrong. He's noticing that's not stopping any of the stops. Um, and he realizes that something's wrong and he gets rattled by Morpheus and he runs out of the train. Um, he hurries up the stairs and he comes to an arch and he looks around he sees the city, but kind of vaguely reminiscent, but something he can't, you know, make specific things out. And he uh, starts running and he's running through the streets, like trying to find his way home, but he could never find it. He'll find like he'll find a cathedral or a, a, a fountain as a landmark. But he, like as he walks further and he may try to find them again, it doesn't make any sense. And he sees these like shimmering gray briefing that look like people that wander around. He's kind of like, they're not, they're people, but they're not. So finally, for a long time, he's like, the sun doesn't rise. The sun doesn't set. It just gets bright, uh, whatever. So he gets on this bridge and he ends up finding this pile of rags. But to his surprise, it's a guy. And he's like, well, how long have you been here? He's like, I have no idea. And he's like, I kind of think, you know, that uh, we're maybe in the city's dreams. He's like, the city's dreams. He's like, yes, cities have souls kind of a deal. He goes, cities are all different. They're all unique. New York isn't Paris. Paris isn't London. London isn't the thing. And I do like the way he describes cities because, yes, they all have their own feel. Um, and he's like, oh, well, what's what about all this? And he's like, what about the, the gray? people like thing he goes i think maybe we're in the city but we're the city's dreaming and he's like oh we're in we're dreaming the city he's like no the city's dreaming and we've somehow become sucked into it and the great people are the people it's dreaming or maybe the people on the edge like we were before we got here um uh but you know who knows i'm hoping that maybe we can find some way out and he's like i've met many people here and they've disappeared i've come gone um he's like but i know i'm searching for a road i knew once in a real city uh and hopefully i'll find it and we'll walk down and i'll be in the real world once more i hope and pray for because it's preferable to the alternative. And the guy's like, what's the alternative? He's like, that the city should wake, said the old man, that it should wake and, and he trails off. And that's when he's like, that, that looks familiar. Don't you recognize it? He's like, that, like one small thing, that is my, my beacon. And he takes off and the guy tries to follow him. But in the end, um, he lose, like, loses around the corner or something. He's like, he's gone. So now he's like, my way out of here, I, ha I have to find my thing, my thing that will get me, like my marker. So he wanders around and he ends up finding this young woman and they end up like having a talk. And he kind of gives her a little bit of like the, the teaching that this guy had given him. 
And he's like, oh, I kind of want to sit and talk with her. And she's like, oh, she's like, just say, like, I'm, uh, I'm glad I found you. What's your name? And she reaches out to him. And he's like, his name is Robert. He's like, he thought she was going to touch him. And had she touched him, he would have been lost forever because he ends up seeing a bit of something he recognizes. And now he has his moment that he just abandons her and runs and he ends up in the real world. Well, the guy telling the story says, well, I met Robert in a small village sometimes years after the event. And the village was nothing. You know, it had barely, like the old joke, they had to widen the street to put the yellow line down the middle. You know, there was only one horse and two butchers were fighting over that um, kind of a deal. And he's like, okay. And he tells me the tale. And he says he was most frightened. So I asked him, I said, do you fear that one day you'll return? Like you'll be sucked back into the... The, the, the city and the dreams. And he's like, is that why you stay out here? He's like, no, he got like really solid. He's like, the reason he's like, is if the city's dreaming, then the city's asleep. And I do not fear cities sleeping stretched out unconscious around their rivers, like cats in the moonlight, sleeping cities are tame and harmless things. He's like, what I fear, he said, is that one day the cities will waken and that one day, the cities will rise. And the guy said, well, I, you know, that shivered me to my, you know, core. And then Robert kind of just walked away off into the moor in this small town and he was never seen again. And I have walked with less comfort in cities ever since. And he's like, there, that is my tale. Who's next? Now, uh, I think I know, cause you kind of, uh, you know, gave me a bit before we recorded that maybe this wasn't your cup of tea, like story wise. This is one of those stories that I remember very well. It was not my favorite, but the idea of a city dreaming and rising up scared me when I read this back in the 90s. I was like, oh, if the cities rise up, what would happen? Would they destroy? Would we all be killed? I don't know, but I'll always remember what happens someday if the city wakes up. And it rises and it stuck with me. Not the greatest, you know, horror story, if you will. But I don't know, just it lasted with me to this day. So I always kind of like this story. Um, I love the framing the device of the world's end stuff and how we get there, right? Right. I really like that stuff. Um, but as much as I like it, I feel as though it's a little bit of a flimsy premise to get these characters together as an excuse for Neil to tell a bunch of short stories that he maybe didn't have fleshed out to be full stories. Um, and this city is dreaming. One definitely feels like one of those stories that like, it's an idea. I don't got a ton for it, Uh, but you know, 24, 26 pages in a comic book. I could probably do 12 or 15 or whatever it is, you know? Um, again, right. a good idea, but, like, in the grand scheme of things, they're like, okay, it is what it is. I like the art on it. I like that they go with a completely different um, art style on it, and that's uh, what Alex Stevens is the artist on the middle part. I forget his name, and I, yeah. I bump to the next one. Yeah, um, I'm looking it up right now at the bottom of the page. Uh, yeah, Alex Stevens. So I like his art, I like the idea, I like the concept, but again, it just feels like it's an idea, eh, not that fleshed out. Okay, moving on. 
No, I get you. And the last thing I'll say on it before I move on, I feel he needs to set up the inn. Because like this story with bookends, I feel, and I don't want to give too much away to the end of this series, is there's the bookends. We have to have the people in the inn. We have to get the explanation. I almost feel like this story could have been like uh, Fear of Falling. It, the story could have been in a Vertigo Jam or a Vertigo Preview. And if the Fear of Falling story was a little longer, that could have went in here. And that would have been really good, but I get your meaning. But we kind of need the layout of just like giving the bit, okay, the reality storm, and then we'll kind of be good to go after that. So um, now on to issue 52, which has art by, uh, once again, uh, Brian Talbot kind of does the the bookend stuff, and John Watkiss does the uh, middle stuff. so uh, Brant is, you know, in the bathroom when this creepy Alice Cooper looking kind of guy who'd be on tour with them comes in and he asks him where Brant is from. He's like Seattle and he's like you and he's like the Necropolis Letharge. And he's like, oh, where's that? He's like, you know, the shadow of the Quincy Mountains and, uh, uh, you know, a dark thunderstorm brought me and my companions here as we were, you know, was washed into a river. He's like, I crashed into a tree. Uh, here we go. And then like a monkey in a, you know, like a general suit comes in. He's like, oh, I like the way he's just taking everything at face value, like whether it's the concussion or the. Yeah, uh, certainly the- taking things into stride. And the, the woman who was in the car crash, she seems to be taking to things much more than he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, I'm Brant Tucker and I'm Claproth. And he's like, is that your first or last name? He's like, just Claproth. And he's like, okay. And they're like, uh, the lady who kind of runs the inn, she's like, um, I suppose it's your turn to tell the story next. And we see an old familiar face. Uh, it's the uh, fairy folk Clericon. Uh, 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 I can't remember the Nuala's sister, uh, brother. Yes. Um, and he ends up, he's like, ah, I won't be a very good, you know, it'll be uninteresting and dull. And she's like, all right, if you don't want to, I'm on to the next. And he's like, all right, even though, you know, I'll tell the story. And he starts telling the story. It's going to be of this city called Ar- Arulian City. Um, and he says, like, you know, it was at the peak of whatever. And he, he describes it. And it looks kind of a bit like Greece, you know, in its, in its heyday. And he was like, it was at the zenith of, of stuff. Um. And he ends up, he tells the story that his queen asked him that she has a task for him. Uh, have you been to this city of the plains? He's like, it's been a while. It's been about 12, 1300 years. And I kind of had to leave in a hurry. But, you know, um, but w- what do you kind of need? And she's like, well, there's kind of a new uh, ruling thing going on there. And they're trying to rally all the outlying uh, cities and bring them all together. Um, and I feel that would be bad for the city of fairy. So I kind of want you to go, uh, be my, uh, I forget what the word she uses, but maybe like her envoy kind of a thing. And he's like, you want me to do it now? And she's like, yes. He's like, but I was heading to see my sister. And he's like, well, your sister's going to have to wait. Um, you have to do this. It's like, whatever you say, you know, let's go. You're ma- I'm at, I will do as you say, your majesty. And I like that a fairy folks curse is iron nails because they're weakened by cold iron. 
and he says, okay, she gave me three, three uh, scrolls. The first one, which was a proclamation from her that I have to take. Can't lose that one. She put magic on it, so I can't lose it. The second one was a map. And summing up this character, he's like, the third one was a lengthy essay on the current political, religious, and social construction of the city um, and other the dozen cities of the plains. And he goes, I resolved to read that when I had the time. And that kind of really sums like the way he shoots from the hip kind of a deal. So he gets to the city after traveling past all these amazing things. And he's like, oh, the city's kind of sucks. Like, it's not the way I remembered it. And he ends up seeing the guy who's there to meet him. And he's like, oh, oh it's been a while since I've been here. Like, was this over here? He's like, not in my time. But obviously he hasn't been there for 13, you know, 100 years. And this is where we're going to get to the story. There's two different names they use for them. I can't remember them every time I'm going to read it. We're discussing the emperor and the pope, as far as I'm concerned, because that's Perfect. what their their version of. He's like, uh, the pope is giving an audience. Let's go see him, and they end up having it. And the guy's talking. And he's a he's a jerk. Uh, he also seems to be almost the leader too. And he's talking about, well, you know, we have to tax them more, and you know, because I'm the religious people, it's not so much a tax as it's go painlessly into the afterlife, or you know, kind of give you damnation so the guy's a jerk obviously he's you know just ripping meat that's always a sign of an evil guy um and he, you know like when they're eating the meat like a like just ah, like and they're, always, like not only are they biting the meat but they're sh- depicted to be tearing the meat off of the item right they're rending the meat off the bone with their teeth and it's just yes. a, a mess and they're not wiping their face um, and he says, like, the, the clericon is here from the fairy thing. And he's like, oh, me, the the pope and the, you know, the emperor kind of a thing. And he's like, oh, have you eaten anything? Clericon's, no, you're great. He's like, well, have a chicken leg. Eat it like me. Rip it, you know. And he's like, oh, thank you. And he's like, and get him a room and get him a guard and for, for our guests. And he's like, oh, okay, thank you. And he's like, ask the guy, he's like, is there anything you know, that I, you're anything to actually protect me from? He's like, ah, oh, it could be dangerous. And I feel like it's not so much a guard from other people, but it's a guard for keeping this guy in the room. Um, so he starts writing a letter to the queen, and he's like, oh, you know, I'm here. Uh, I've arrived safely. And did you know that the new pope is of the plains is also the emperor of the city? So, like, that seems like it's sh- something's wrong there. But... If he had read maybe the the scroll, who would know? Um, so while he's in his bedroom, a guy comes and bribes the guard to come in. And he's like, oh, I'm Otho of the Plains. You've met my nephew, Marion. He's like, Marion? He's like, the Pope and the the Emperor. He's like, oh, he's like, she was my, he's my nephew of my late sister's son, kind of a deal. Um, he's like, I thought the Pope and the Emperor were different. He's like, that, you, that used to be before the treaty and he's like well what he's like the last pope signed a treaty with the emperor over the right of succession and marion was chosen by the spiritual electors to be the pope but he produced this treaty stating that the emperor had no heirs um and then the reigning pope was to be the ruler of the city so it was kind of you know uh, an amalgam and they were brought together he's like it was sealed with the predecessors you know seal so it could, you know we're like it, it wasn't a forgery 
and seeing the uh, the emperor's son was killed in a brawl on the street, there was nobody to contest it. Um, but now my my nephew Marion, and I like this is another line that I really like. Made it now the fact that he's made it to the top twice. He wants more, and it's like you have the two great things, and it's still not enough for you. Um, and he's like, okay, well, Clerk Hand's kind of getting the gist of it. He's like, well, what do you want? He's like, all I want is an emperor or a pope who believes in the holy twins and an emperor who has the best interest of the people at heart. He's like, but enough, let's go. And I think he's kind of trying to sow the seeds of, you know, dissent. So Clerk Hand starts to you know, do do stuff in his room. And he's like, at this point, you know, in my story, I have to tell you that fairies are made of glamour, 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 glamour. We can do this. We can do that with it. But every once in a while, uh, we will say true things. And these things we say, neither glamour nor magic, neither prediction nor curse, but sometimes what we say is true. And if you're a tremendous liar like myself, it's even true for me. And while he's at the, you know, the, the big, the next, the next dinner, he ends up feeling a come on. He's like, oh God. And he gets up and he just goes in front of the Pope Emperor and he's like, starts, you know, having a vision or whatever you want to call it. He's like, both Pope and Emperor, you've gained great heights, though death and through death and lies. But now the dead begin to rise and debts forgotten time collects. The bogs will chew your carcass yet. Amidst your bones, the rats will romp, and even history shall forget you, psychopomp, which is what the Pope is. He's like, oh, that's it. I've had enough of you. Take him to the to the dungeon. Uh, I like the fact he's like, we've had your kind here before, and we uh, over a thousand years ago, and so we learned, and we know your weakness is cold steel. I like the fact that he's hoisted by his own petard because he was the one who caused trouble 1,300 years ago. They had to learn how to handle fairy folk. So he gets, you know, put in, in, the, in the dungeon. And I like that he threatens him with a certain uh, threat. And the guy says, he's not lying. I've seen him do it. So now all he can do is sit and rot in the dungeon and... Nuala shows up and she's like, Nuala, how'd you get here? Cold iron. You can't get in, can't get out. I don't understand. He's like, I didn't come to see you. You came to see me. Um, you're dreaming. And he's like, I'm in trouble. And he's like, is there anything I could do? Can't help me. You're a fairy like me. You can't break any of this, but don't worry. I'm fine. She's like, nobody's fine on their own. People need help. I'll get help. So who does she send? Uh, Mr. Comfort Morpheus. He shows up and he's like, your sister wants me to help you. Um, and I, albeit reluctantly, have agreed to do it. And I like that he's taken aback. He's like, reluctantly, uh, Lord Shaper, I would hate to be put out of your way. And he just, he he's not playing the, the role, the game. He's like, it's nothing to me whether you live or die, but your sister, she serves me faithfully and I would not see her needlessly distressed. He's like, well, um, uh, I, I do care and my, my queen might care might be inconvenienced he's like well alright um, should I set you free then he's like yes he's like very well I'm grateful and I like he just goes as you should be do you wish to leave this plan time he's like nope I still have some work to do can you open that door he's like okay it's open I've done as you asked as your sister asked I will take my leave 
uh, have you a message for her? He's like, yeah, tell her thank you. I owe her. If I had a soul, I'd owe her that too. Tell her I'll see her soon. He's like, I will tell your uh, sister. He leaves and he's like, okay. Now Claire Ken's like, I have a job to do. Using, obviously, the glamour. He goes around and he ends up, you know, running down the Pope slash Emperor saying that, you know, the, the treaty was a forgery, all that kind of, sowing discontent. So the emperor's like, oh, all, this is all happening in the street. His assistant's like, yep, your grace. Um, well, don't worry. It'll all blow over. We'll go hide here, which is the crypt where all the old emperors kind of stay. And he's like, oh, they'll, they'll chime down. Um, and in the end, uh, the, the assistant's like, yeah, or what? You'll use this threat, which was the threat he gave to, to Clericon. And he's like, oh, uh, what's going on? He's like, it's me. And he's like, oh, it's you. You've brought all this. I'll kill you for this. But then the last emperor who's in the tomb gets up and he's like, you know, you brought shame on this city. You stole my throne. And he ends up diving out the, the stained glass window with him, kind of doing what Clericon prophesies. So he ends up fighting his way out of the city. Along the way, he sees the corpse of the emperor, uh, Pope, but he can't find the, the the undead one who killed him. He's like, ah. And they're like, oh, that story makes no sense back at the end. They're like, well, what happened? He's like, ah, it was all true except for the sword fight. I added that to give you a little bit of flavor. But like, well, how, how'd that guy come to life? He's like, I don't know. I didn't write the story. I lived it. That's what happened. He's like, okay, this is whatever. Great story. So now are you going to see your sister? And he kind of like snaps on them, which there's something up there. He's like, now just on to other stories. Who's going to tell the next tale? Um, interesting story. I think of the two, I like this one lesser. And in a, in a thing with Neil Gaiman, he said this story kind of fell flat for him. He said for this story to be better, he crammed too much in to those 20 pages where this needed to be a 40 or a 60 page issue to uh, flesh it out and make it not very just like, oh, here's here's a lot of stuff happening. And I 100 percent agree with him on that. I feel there was too much story for one uh uh, bookend story in a in a comic. Uh, yes, uh, I agree with Neil. I agree with you. So far, the world's end uh, is zero for two, and I think I figured out the main reason why. Mm-hmm. So the previous issue, an issue, well, this issue, okay, it's about a city. Colerican gets the proclamation from the fairy queen to go there, and it's a story about a city, right? Mm-hmm. The previous issue, it's a story about a city. Issue 50. What was issue 50 about? Issue was about a city, but it was a city in a bottle. So it's Okay. Different. Well, it didn't end up being in the bottle until the very end. So we have three stories in a row that are all about cities. And if I was to judge these three stories against each other, these two, issues 51 and 52, pale in comparison to what we saw in 50. 50. Right. Um, and I definitely think that if this had more time to flesh itself out... Mm-hmm. Um, I think what Neil even could have done was, and again, look look at me 30 years later said, Neil, this is what you could have done. Right. You make the story about the city sleeping shorter. 
and you take this and you split like you do a cliffhanger where at the end of 51 is Colverkin getting locked up. Fair enough, but I feel I get what he's trying to go with the with the theme. Yeah, is, for each thing is a self-contained story. story with the framing sequences around it. I'm I'm with you. Though I will argue this. Definitely 51 is about a city. Right. Um, because that's the city is the one that's dreaming. Now it's the story of Robert, whatever, he's a, he's a side. Now I don't feel and I and I get what you're saying because he describes the city in the beginning, but I feel the the story in the second one, it it because every story I think in this uh world's end is going to take place in a city somewhere. And in that by that barometer, uh every issue up to this point has been in a city you yeah. know what i mean like definitely the one about in 50 is that's a story about a city it, it lives forever i don't know if i'm getting across what i'm trying to say yeah i think the second one is 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 more of like uh a nitpick kind of like whatever i don't know how to explain what i'm saying i'm but, i'm using much broader strokes than issue 52 to make my point no i get you yeah. i get you i definitely but i concede your point on 50 and 51. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, let's see if um, the rest of World's End here could turn the uh, tale around. Because next week, we got issues 53 and 54. Mm-hmm. Yep. A- and I have an interesting story about the issues next week. I'm very interested. And who knows? Will 53 and 54 be the the soliloquy that like I love? Who knows? Maybe it's 55 and 56. So much stuff it could be, Joe. Right. Um, this is, uh, yeah, very interesting stuff that we're coming upon here. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, so I, and I, that's another thing. I, I don't I don't want to take anything away from this. Um, the artist on the main story here in issue 52, John Watkiss. Yes. Right? Uh, I think did a great job. And I really like... Um, Brian Talbot's art, but you could tell that there's a difference in the art from issue 51 to 52 because I think there's a different inker from 51 yes. to 52. I'm I because I put mine away, but I think Buckingham is in 51, and I don't know who Talbot's inker is in 52. Right. Um, no, actually, it does say that Buckingham is the inker for both of the issues, but right. I think the uh, maybe it's colored different or whatever it is, but I think the the framing sequence in 52 pops more than the framing sequence in 51. I gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so obviously you're over at Longbox Heroes. Well, before we get to that, we had an art attack this week. Yes, we did. It's been a while since we've had an art attack. So uh, go go uh, take care of that there. Yep. So um, from, uh, give me one second, from Tolute DPU, um, Todd's art attack, Tyler Boss's car was stolen and drenched in gas, which had his books and art. I felt the need to support and own something from the perfect four kids walk into a bank. And I love his issues of department of truth. So, uh, I've, I've read department of truth and that's like a, a beautiful piece. And you could tell which ones, which, because I, it has the, on the left side, uh, department of, uh, DOT. So that's department of truth. But I've never heard of four kids walk into a bank. Yeah, neither have I. Um, but because 
he has, you know, said this. I may have to look in that and at least get a plot or synopsis of it. But Tyler Boss's stuff is beautiful, very, you know, in the black and white. It's very slick, a very slick style. And um, I kind of want to see four kids walk into a bank on how those on that artwork on the right, how the the uh, three panels that are kind of less colored or inked. If there's a reason for that, like it's a uh, a, a dream sequence, or if it was something that was what a flashback or something, right? Or it was scattered, like it was like, oh, I I had to do something digitally with this, so it'll look different. If that makes any sense, you know, for sure. Uh, so again, as I'm not going to pronounce his uh, his Twitter handle, but as uh, David mentioned there, of course. Uh, Tyler Boss, uh, website tyler-boss.com, on social media as Boy Cartoonist. Uh, he's currently doing the art for the uh, image book, What's the Furthest Place from Here, which right. has very strong ties to music. If you're mm-hmm. a musical person, then I think you would probably enjoy that book. Um, and, you know, obviously I did see through David Tyler's story about a month or so ago, his car was stolen. Um he is, you know, obviously I don't know Tyler directly, but he is at least the third person that I know of directly uh, within the last year that have had their car stolen um, due to uh, a TikTok thing. Are you aware of this, Todd? Have you heard of this? No. Well, are you asking me if I'm aware of TikTok or stealing cars? Have you? Are you aware of the the car theft thing that is a TikTok trend? No, I've not heard anything about this. Okay. There are certain models and submodels of Kias and Hyundais from certain years that you could literally break into and start by using the business end of a USB. Uh, Okay, I maybe have heard... Not that it was a TikTok thing. Yes. That that part, like that there was a weird way of stealing a car. Right. So what? Yes, sir. It's certain years, certain models, submodels of Kias and Hyundai's, um, and kids would steal them and like just joyride them and like leave them in ditches. Right. Um, As you know, you know, as I was following the story with Tyler, uh, he had the entire run of the original art of like issue eleven. Of where's where's the furthest place from here in the trunk, and the kids didn't even touch it, right? Because they're not even looking for that. My friend John had it happen to him. Uh, another friend of ours, Chuck, had it happen to him. Um, it's pretty crazy. Uh, so you know, be careful out there. Go look that information up. Um, depending on what state you're in, your state might be filing class action lawsuits on your behalf as they against should those, against those vehicle manufacturers. Right um, now. So, again, not that I'm aware of any stuff that goes on with cars and thefts and things like this, that I have intimate knowledge of it, but uh, definitely look into that if you have those sort of models or whatever. I'm slowly putting away my USB. Yes, yes. So, but now, now did, because you, you saw a little bit of Tyler's story, so they, yes. they doused the car in gas, but did they light it? No. Okay. That's That's good, then. More times than not, in all of these cases, the cars are recovered. No, I get that. But yeah. this one in the tweet uh, had that, oh, it was doused in gas. And I'm like, usually when someone douses something in gas, 
a match ain't far behind it. Um, I think the people that particularly stole his car were idiots. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Well, and he, so Tyler is in New York State as well. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, Tyler, go. You know, your state's on the list of people that are filing that class action lawsuit. You know, right. Um, and they graffito tagged the car. They left a bunch of food and trash and all sorts of other crazy nonsense in the car. But again, he did get his car back. Right. Um, and it's a pretty crazy situation, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like I said, I won't, we won't go much more into it, but that's just fascinating to me, you know? Yeah, but like, go go check out Tyler's work, go, go whatever. And on top of this, to see somebody who's doing like the full page layouts in the 2000s, like 2010s, 2020s. Mm-hmm. I love to see it. Yep. You know, I'm sure a lot of these things are being digitally colored and digitally lettered and everything else like that. But to right. see someone who has like, they have pages where there's numbers at the top, you know? Yeah. Uh, and they're page sized. Oh, brings me well, back so to a different thing time. That they need to add is actual word balloons, man. Yes. Like glued to the artwork back in the day. Uh, So, again, you know, if you have any original art that you've picked up, um, if you yourself are a burgeoning artist, um, if you've gotten commissions, you've picked up some pages, going to San Diego Comic-Con, what have you, uh, be sure to tag Todd's Art Attack in it, tweet it at us, and we will share uh, your stuff uh, with the world and definitely talk about it here on the show. Yep. Uh, so also you can help us out here at the show by, uh, buying a shirt directly from me. I got shirts, I got pins, I got stickers. Just shoot me an email or a message and we'll work something out. If you want more designs inspired by more things from all the different corners of the soon to be named network, head over to our T public store next week when they're doing the 35% off sale. Uh, make any and all of your purchases through our aim, our eBay affiliate link almost slipped up there. Uh, go listen to After Dark for more information on how that works. Uh, but anytime that you click an affiliate link on the site, we may get a cut of the money that goes to eBay. It's a way that you can help us out. You know, like I said, go listen to After Dark this week for more information, right? Right. Uh, but the best way to help us out is by signing up for our Patreon. As little as a dollar a month, you are going to get two bonus shows from Todd and myself. Uh, previewing the past where we look at 30 years ago this month's previews catalog uh, and the comic book oddities uh, where we watch some of the pre-Marvel Cinematic Universe, some of the lesser known, some of the oddball uh, movies, TV shows, canceled pilots and so forth uh, from the world of comics and fandom. Uh, This weekend, Todd and I are recording uh, Jonas Hex starring a bunch of people who got paid a lot of money to be in a piece of garbage. That's right. And somehow Joey Tribbiani catched a check. Yes. And again, that's an interesting story in and of itself. Um, no matter what level you are at the Patreon, you're also going to get uh, the full scans of those preview catalogs that we discuss every month on previewing the past. Again, you know, com- uh, listen, a lot of, not a lot of people have time in their day or their life for podcasts and on top of podcasts. But I think if you enjoy what Todd and I do, you would enjoy listening to us talk about those old previews catalogs. But if you don't have the time of the day, Go look at those old preview catalogs. We've got the full scans of, like, what, 1990, 91, 92, and 93 up to current. 
uh, up there just to page through those things. If you were a comic book fan during that time, if you were aware of comic books, if you weren't even born, just a peek at what the world of comic books look like, seeing the rise of image comics, DC, like making all these big power play moves and Marvel thinking like the future is in Marvel UK, right? Well, that might, he might be the new Punisher. You don't know. It might be right. Death's Head Two might be the new Punisher, and it all comes back around to the beginning of the show, right? Right. Yep. Uh, at the five dollar level, you're going to get the two bonus shows that we mentioned two weeks before everyone else, and you're also going to get uh, Longbox Heroes After Dark two days before everyone else, so you can listen to these shows in the correct listening order. Mm-hmm. Uh, last but not least, we have discussion of the most recent episode of Secret Invasion, the Marvel show over on Disney Plus, starring Samuel L. Jackson. So let's get into this, right? Sure. Um, now, I do want to say, as these episodes have been coming out, um, from episode one to two to three to four, the episodes have been getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Right. Now, as we record this episode here, episode five is not out, and it's only a six-episode six miniseries, um, but the promotional stuff on Marvel um, is touting issues five and six as cinematic-sized. Ooh, what's that, Joe? I don't know what that means. It means they're going to have a busy week, right? Yep. Uh, so we begin the show with the ending of last week's episode, um, where Gravik has shot Gaia as he has figured out, Gravik, pronouns pal, that Gaia has been the mole sending information back to Talos uh, in regards to what their plans are. But it also turns out that when Gaia went back to that room where the Scroll Liberation Front or whatever they're called has a bunch of the humans that they've replaced back there, she somehow gets information that she should inject herself with this serum, and she she essentially super scrolls herself. Right. She uh, survives getting shot. Gravik thinks she's dead, so now she can go off into hiding. Yep. I just feel she did it in case she got caught. I don't know if there was information, but either way, but it was the extremist stuff from Iron Man 3 that would heal you. <laughs> And also do fire. So because the the four things that they have are extremists, Groot. They have a they have a sample of Groot. They have I forget it's one of Thanos's uh, uh, conclave that was in the movies that died. He was the big like like super like strong one. And then there was like a, a frost beast from one of the Thor worlds or something like that. So extremist baby. Todd, are you talking about Null Obsidian? Yes, that's the one. Null Obsidian. How do I know that, Todd? How do you know that, Joe? Because he's one of the boosters that you could put uh, on your character in Marvel Puzzle Quest. Oh, because he's, uh, yeah, they have the DNA from Null Obsidian. Yes. Um, so, you know, we get the bit, and we're going to be all over the place with this episode because, like, everyone's plots are kind of moving um, independently of each other at different points. Um, Gaia goes and meets up with Talos. Uh, Talos has an idea of like, hey, you know, if we help everyone out, then we go to the president, we say we have this big bargaining chip, and then he'll let all million scrolls stay on Earth, right? Yep. Uh, I like the gist of it, because Talos is a true believer, is that he's like, if we show them, 
if we show them what we really are, like that we're good, they'll let us in. And he's so deluded, Joe. So deluded. Because Nick's right. He's like, we can't even get along with ourselves. And we're going to have this these aliens that can run amok uh, among us. That's as soon as people go uh, on that, they're going to go bat crazy, you know? Right. And Guy is essentially like, you're wrong. Um, you know, I guess I'm on my own here. Now, Is does obviously, she she's going to... She's a scroll onto herself, right? Right. Um, I, I do, however, have a feeling that she is going to end up helping uh, Talos and the crew again uh, before everything is said and done, because I don't think uh, Graphic is going to want anything to do with her and vice versa. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, Nick Fury's scroll wife uh, goes to meet with scroll Rhodey, and again, another one of the Todd was right column. Right, and I would also like to add, I knew Amelia Clark wasn't dead because they weren't burning through that contract quick. Right. And, um, you know, obviously we didn't recognize Rhodey's voice on the phone when they had the conversation at the end of episode three. They meet in the church in episode four. Nick Fury has something, a tracker on her so he could eavesdrop. I feel he when she left the phone on the table, he did something to it. Right, because we learn later on uh, that he mixes into the uh, the old granddad five thousand dollar bottle of bourbon that he shares with Scroll Rhodey. He What's put a a liquid tracer in there. Right, uh, wasn't like old Pappy something. Yeah, something like that. It's an actual, it's an actual legitimate super expensive bourbon. Right, that sounds so ridiculous, but yeah. I didn't know it was real. Yes, it, it is real. Uh, if only you were a bourbon guy, you'd understand. Yeah. Um, so while he's uh, eavesdropping uh, on his wife and Scroll Rody, both Scrolls having conversation, and Rody is like, "Listen, you go back to the house, and somebody's getting shot. Whether it's you shooting Nick, or I'm going to shoot you." Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we close out that scene, <clears throat> if we didn't know that uh, James Rhodey was a scroll before, when he tells Nick Fury's scroll r- wife that bragging that he fired Nick Fury, quote, like a DDT off the top rope, Undertaker level imp- impressive. That's how we know he's a villain, man. And Todd, I had to pause the show and walk away for a second. Uh, I, I I had to pause the show and I almost walked away forever. Because The Undertaker doesn't do a top rope DDT, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, get your, if you're going to re- get wrestling references in your show, get them right, okay? But he's a scroll. That's why he has it wrong. You would think that as a scroll, uh, he would love professional wrestling. And, you know, mentioned like an Eddie Guerrero or someone like that who does a top rope DDT. But anyway, all right, I get it. Or he could have said The Undertaker, and he's like, I tombstoned him. His career's done, you know, whatever. Now, if he had said Undertaker had his signature casket, then... Right, right. Again, he could have mentioned L.A. Knight or Double J, but again, let's not (laughs) ask for everything. Right. Um, So we did have a flashback earlier to a post-Avengers 1 meetup between Nick Fury and his wife-to-be. They discuss a poem, a poetry that comes back 
when they have the confrontation at the at the house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it turns out that um, you know these these actors are all great together. They have these 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 soliloquies that they do, these monologues that they do. It's great acting. It's great dialogue. You know, it's stuff that has no right being in a show about comic book pointy-eared green aliens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but we get the bit where um, neither one of them, like, I thought we were going to get a Nick Fury shot first sort of thing, right? Right. Um, but again, we did not. And I feel bad. I've been doing her a disservice. But uh, Nick Fury's wife, Priscilla, and they and Nick, they shoot... But they don't shoot at each other. They kind of just both shoot in the wall. He kind of says, looks like, you know, neither one of us could do this. And she asks Nick as he leaves, um, if you had it to do all over again, knowing that I was a scroll and knowing that this moment happens, would you still marry me? And, uh, you know, he doesn't give her an answer. You know, kind of leaves that hang in there, you know? Um, I will say... That, like, I'm with you. That was one of my favorite scenes because we get the backstory of Priscilla. And he's like, and she tells him the story of how she chose the the person that she was going to impersonate. Yes, they, we do get that backstory. Yes, yes. And she's sick. And he's like, so what would you do? He's like, I showed her who I was. And I said, you'll live on. And she's like, great. And, I, and why are you doing this? Because there's a man I love. And she's like, all right, I'll do it. Make me one promise. That you'll never ever hurt him, and she does it. And I, 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 that was like such a great scene. And then they reread the poetry, and Joe, it's like poetry because it rhymes literally. And I was like, like you said, this is really good. And I get how people maybe don't like it because it isn't pew 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 and aliens or uh, you know superheroes and stuff. But I, I'm you know at this point. Uh, this scene kind of like hammered it home. I really like this episode, but there's more yet. Sorry. Right. So we get an interesting bit in that um, the scroll that is impersonating uh, Rhodey is a lady scroll. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know if that's an important bit of business, but maybe it'll pay off a little bit later on because um, the lady scroll get, they they do a bit where the lady scroll gets out of the shower and we can see their reflection in the foggy mirror. And as they wipe away the reflection, the reflection becomes Don Cheadle. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a good bit, right? Right. Um. So uh, Fury Ro- or Scroll Rody comes out. Nick Fury's in the apartment waiting for for him, and essentially is like, "Listen, let's have bygones be got bygones. I poured you a glass of this." Uh, what is it? Uh, Pappy oh. Van Winkle or whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, and again, it sounds ridiculous, but it's real. You know, it's like a $5,000 bottle of bottle of booze, right? I'm going to say this, and it may get me in trouble. It sounds a little almost a bad thing, if you get my meaning. Yeah, it sounds questionable. It sounds suspect. It sounds uh, insensitive, let's say. Yes, there you go. There right. you go. Um. So... Uh, Nick Fury's like, listen, we're gonna we're gonna drink this thing, um, and he kind of lets him know in a really cool way. Uh, it's like, listen, I know there's scrolls infiltrated into the government. I know there's a scroll cro- close to the president, and he goes, and 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 Rhodey's like, how close? And Nick Fury leans in and he's like, as close as you and I are right now. Great and line, by the way. Great, great stuff, right? 
So, uh, Rhodey's picking up what he's putting down. He gets up and he puts like a little flash drive into into his laptop, which is connected to the TV. He doesn't use it to steal Nick Fury's Kia or Hyundai, <laughs> but he shows him the footage, much clearer footage that we saw in the previous uh, thing that Rhodey actually came here to testify on. Um, essentially saying like, I have this footage of you killing uh, Maria Hill. Okay, right, you do anything funny, and I leak this. And all the copies that I have out there of you killing Maria, right? Right. And he's like, but it was graphic. And he goes, good luck with that story. Yeah. But in the uh, in the in the glass of the Pappy Van Winkle that Nick Fury had poured for Rhodes is the liquid tracker that's in here. So now they can track where Rhodes is going, where the president is going, because they are on their way to meet the Russians. But Gravik has his crew posing as the Russians, and they're going to, you know, stage this big whatever to stop the president, make it look like it was the Russians doing it. Again, Gravik's whole thing is to do this to make the Earthlings think that the other different groups of the Earthlings are fighting amongst each other to push World War Three along, right? Right. Uh, when Rhodey meets up with the president, the president gives him a little what for because uh, maybe Rhodey has a little booze on his breath. Yeah, get me a mint. <laughs> and they leave, you know, whatever the airport is, the motorcade is on its way. And we get, for a TV show, a really cool action sequence. Yep. Um, you know, there's cars flipping, there's explosions, there's gunfight. And... It's not all CG. There is CG in there, but it's more CG enhanced than CG everything. Like we've seen more times than not in most things. Like there's scenes in the second Avengers movie that are almost 100% CG. Mm -hmm. This fight scene at the end of the episode is maybe like 10% CG. And you would never notice it unless you were like a hyper obsessive maniac like me. Yes, it's kind of like uh, like I always say. It's why I love Mad Max Fury Road because they do a couple of specials on there. Like, yeah, like Mad Max Fury Road, ninety percent practical. He's like, here's the stuff that's CGI because you have to. You know what I mean? Because yeah. somebody will get killed. But I'm like, oh, that makes it so much better when it's practical with a hint of CGI. Right. Um, and I, I love as this gunfire is going on and cars are flipping and missiles are launching. You know, obviously, Rhodey knows it's coming, so he's just calmly sitting in the back of the car, right, mm -hmm. while everything's going on. So uh, Nick and Talos show up, obviously, because they were tracking this. They didn't know the strike was going to happen this quickly. Gravik sees them show up, and we maybe see Gravik uh, show um, examples of both the extremists and the Groot abilities that he's been uh, super scrolled with, right? Right. I think he might have all four. He just hasn't used them yet. Right. We haven't seen all of them yet, right? Right. Uh, so the president's car is flipped over. Uh, Talos is like, I'm going to bash the window open. I guess, you know, he's got a little bit of enhanced strength being an alien of some kind. Uh, he gets shot. And as he gets shot, he's like turning like half scroll, half human in some great practical effects. Um, and it's real creepy, and one of the other guys that are on the American side, the president side, sees him turn into a scroll. Nick Fury waves him off and says, no, no, he's with us. 
they get the president out of the car. Nick Fury, of course, makes the decision, like, who do I save first, the president or my friend? He makes the decision to get the president there to safety first. The guy who had just seen this person turn into a scroll has his arm around, like, saying, come on, buddy, I got you. And obviously that's graphic. And mm-hmm. graphic just, like, gets a knife, stabs it right in Talos' heart, drops him in the middle of the road, and twice during the course of these four episodes, we've seen two of Fury's closest confidants get run through by Gravik. Right, because, and, like, when Fury said to Maria Hill's mother, he's like, he did it just to hurt me. You know what I mean? Like, that not only is, is like, he doesn't tell her the plan because she's not, you know, uh, she doesn't have clearance, but he's like, because he wants to destroy the world, but to to get there... He's going to do everything he can to make sure he twists the knife in Fury. And Telos, I believe, is dead, like, shoot dead in this show, Joe. Not working Um, dead? What? Not working dead? Not working dead. Shoot dead. And that makes me legitimately sad because uh, he's my favorite character in this show, but it kind of does give Gaia the tragic, you know, storyline whatever so uh, we'll see I, I i i'm not happy with it but we can get years of flashbacks with telos hopefully so i will say i don't think talos is dead because when uh gravik stabbed him and, and again i'm not an expert on scroll anatomy but uh when he stabbed him it was more closer up to the shoulder as opposed to, like, in the middle of the chest where a human heart would be. Um, so I'm not really sure. Uh, I could see Gaia coming and saying, oh, I've got a little bit of, like, whatever I super-scrolled myself with that I can inject it into Talos to save him. But I could also see your theory of Talos dies, and that's the thing that gets Gaia to join up with Nick Fury. Yeah. I, maybe it's just I don't want Talos to be dead because I really like him. I, I don't want him to be dead either, but... Uh, I'm I'm with you. Now, was this the episode where uh, Nick Fury calls that female a- British agent? No, that was episode three. Okay, I got confused. On She's which not in this episode at all. Right, because the last week I did like her putting the eye patch on the Falcon. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> the owl cur- or whatever the hell it was. The owl was like, and I'm calling it Fury now. Yeah. Um, but I like this episode a lot. Um, I've been liking the series. Again, the fact that it's just six episodes, I think, makes it a little bit more digestible. Um, I'm worried about them saying the last two episodes are going to be cinematic. Yeah. And it makes me worried they're going to be, like, super long for some reason. But, you know, yeah. we'll see for next week, right? Yeah. My only big worry for the last two episodes is, and we it was kind of the discussion at the comic shop, the, a couple of people, the, the retailer, the definitive Colonel Sanders artist, is that with everything going on at Disney and the guy even said, he's like, we're going to try and cut back on Star Wars and Marvel. You know what I mean? Because we maybe have oversaturated. And I'm like, not maybe. You did. Um, I like a lot of the stuff, but, you know, a little more anticipation. If it's always out there, you can never be like, you know, miss it. Um, but I'm worried that, like, again, with everything, it's always, there's no ending. It's, hey, this is just the lead into the next big thing. You know what I mean? Which I get, it works, but I'm like, oh, I don't know. I just, just really kind of like a, 
We'll see if you get my you, you want everything to be serialized so everybody that watches the big things watch the small things mm-hmm. so that you have less turnover between projects. Right. But the problem is where you're just consistently putting out product upon product upon product upon product, it's going to get to a point where you're going to churn people off because it's just too much to continue with and people only have so much time in their lives. Yep. And they'll go... Do I have to, I feel like I have to watch this to see this and that's when it becomes work. Yeah. So. But I'm, I'm enjoying I'm, it. Like that yeah, I'm enjoying it though. Enjoying you know, and that, and the, that's, so the other issue with all the, you know, the churn of the Marvel stuff is, is if any of it was bad, but like, I would say most of it is like, good if not great if you're a comic book person you know you can make arguments on the artistic quality of things versus an art house film or you know a, a christopher nolan film or whatever you know it is yeah, but yeah. I don't as a lifelong comic book fan to see all this stuff on the big screen and to see it be the mainstream stuff that everyone loves i'm like hey i'm, I'm glad you're all I'm, came but, around finally you know I know we try to stay positive on the show. There is bad in the Marvel. Like to me, Eternals was bad. But uh, okay, I'll, ne- I'll never know because I didn't see Eternals. Right, because it's bad. Um, uh, but like, and then there was just okay. You know what I mean? I'm trying to think. Like there were there like I uh, other than Fiona Pugh is that her name? But what's her Florence Pugh? Florence uh, Pugh. In 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 Black Widow, I thought Black Widow was an okay movie, but Florence Pugh is like, um, like just so charismatic as that version of the Black Widow. And I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what maybe some of the the, the last couple where I'd have to go over. There's there's been more just good than great lately. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but again, uh, you know, most things aren't good. Yeah, so that is a plus. Uh, so I think that's everything for this week, right? Yeah, that's everything. A bigger than uh, usual episode. There was a lot of news, of course, in the San Diego talk. But uh, thanks for listening. This was episode 667 of Longbox Heroes. Uh, for Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.